Invisible Not Broken podcast. I'm Monica. I have disability and chronic illness and invisible illness. So I have Ehlers-Danlos, POTS, fibromyalgia, you know, a whole host of other wonderful things. Hey y'all, I'm Eva. I'm a fibro fighter, entrepreneur, weirdo about town who says whatever's on her mind. On this podcast, Monica and I talk about the off the rails roller coaster ride that is life with invisible chronic illness. Yeah, sometimes it'll just be us. Sometimes we're gonna have a special guest. We're gonna cover different parts of chronic illness, either in pop culture or yeah, whatever's just on our mind. If you would like to be a little bit more a part of things, head over to our Facebook group. Um, you can always find us at Invisible Not Broken. Now let's dive into the episode. So, fear and chronic illness. So yeah, my chronic illness. So this morning, I got up and took a walk because they make me happy and it's sunny outside and when you live in Rochester, New York, if there's sun, you take advantage of it. And like, I don't know, a few feet in, my left knee subluxes, I guess that's the right word, right? Subluxes. Yep. For some reason, I didn't know that word before. I I would just say like not fully dislocated. <laughs> I didn't know I there like was a word. Like your phrasing it. <laughs> not <laughs> dislocated. <laughs> yeah. So it was subluxing pretty hardcore. And so what I normally do is you know I just kind of kick back and forth, like move the yeah. joint until it just slides back in place, right? And that's pretty standard, but. This was insult to injury in that the last, let's say, week to two weeks, could be longer, but maybe I'm just noticing it, has been the worst joint pain and uh, number of subluxations ever, and not dealing with it very well. How do you I mean, feel like you should be dealing with it? It's... it's it's hard, right? With with pain, it's all relative, not just like the one to 10 scale, but also like what's quote unquote bad and what's quote unquote not a, not a big deal, right? So for me in my life, I don't sublux all the time. I don't have joint pain all the time. I have some sort of fibro pain going on all the time. And of mm-hmm. course with hypermobility and fibro, there's overlaps that I still don't really understand but this has been a lot of specific joint pain like there's always a joint hurting or shifting and that has not been the case for me in the past it was always just like an event usually something once a day but now it's been like all the time and that's naturally making my fibro flare up more so there's always definite throbbing burning achy stuff going on in different places and it's just it's just up a notch, it, uh, maybe a big notch. So, what's bigger than a notch? <laughs> what's bigger than I feel like I'm doing an Alice in Wonderland thing. Like, how's a raven like a writing desk? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not exactly like I'm in a pain all of a sudden. It's more that I've become very hyper aware of the progression all of a sudden, and I think that's what's freaking me the fuck out. It's not so much the pain itself, although I'm really not a fan of the frequency and intensity of what it's been, but the fact that it is progressing faster than it was, and I'm only 30, and I have a lot of life I want to live, and you're that, yeah, and I know a lot of people are probably thinking, like, I don't know. I hate doing this, but thinking like, oh, boo-hoo, like you're having some subluxations and more pain. But, you know, for my world and the abilities that I plan on having, uh, the the world in which Eva lives in, this is shaking me up. And so, yeah. Okay. So what do you see as, like, what's the end thing that you feel like you're not going to be able to do if this continues of this progression? Well, okay, so I'll actually, I'll open up about something, uh, a dream I had. I mean, you could choose to not post this. We could just talk. I mean, it's up to you. I'm, I'm just talking. We can, 
we, we can do whatever. That's the thing I like about this podcast, whether or not we post this, I don't mind being open about it. In fact, if I, if I'm not going to, who is going to? So. That's the whole point of the podcast, but I don't want to put you on the podcast. spot. Yeah. I so, mean, we're friends before we're partners. So. Yeah. So you know me well, Monica. So let's see. So the other day, this like a week ago, this is not a dream. This actually happened. I'm at my friend's house. We're having dinner together and I go to their fridge to get them something. And my left knee subluxes in a way that's more painful than usual. It just like kind of, it, I think it hyperextended at the same time. Yeah. And it was like a really sharp pain. It was like dagger in the knee kind of pain. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, someone get me a chair. Like they had to bring over the chair to the fridge so I could sit down. And, you know, I try to laugh it off a bit. I try to get up a couple times. No, that's not working. Uh, finally, I slip it back in and it's amazing. There's no pain, like, right? Like it's fine. And I, wa- I walk up and down their hall for a while and I'm like, okay, I'm good. Fast forward to a couple days later and you and I, Monica, and I have been having these conversations about EDS and like what it looked like for you at my age and maybe how to prepare for it. Anyway, so I have this dream that I'm back in that exact same scenario, but my knee dislocates completely. And I'm on the floor crying, saying, this is it. My life is over as I know it. I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And <laughs> I know I feel terrible saying it, but like it, it was just really hard in the dream because I thought about all the things that I really want to do and how they're going to be so much harder. And that, that, that this is probably the future I'm walking into, whether it's EDS or just I have hypermobile joints and they're going to get worse. I don't really know where the line is, honestly. Like I told you, I want to hike in the Adirondacks this, this summer. And I loved your answer was like, put on some of that. I forgot what that tape is called. But that IT tape. Yeah. And, you know, get yourself a good cane and you can do it. And I was like, I love it. I love the way. I didn't say you could do it. I said, if you were going to do it, please get bracing painkillers and some walking sticks and a good exit plan. Yeah. (laughs) I did not say you can. I said, if you're going to, there's a difference. Good point. It's a good point. Uh, I actually brought it up with my mom and she said, aren't there walking sticks that can open up into chairs? Mm-hmm. said you should just have one of those so like you need to sit there you go I mean you could also just sit on the ground but whatever no you can't no <laughs> you freaking can't because when you get back that's when your knee pops out see yeah I just like I grew up as a ballet dancer and I recognize that I can't really do that anymore and I did try a lot this year actually I took a class and took it slow but the idea of not being able to hike, like just whether or not that's actually true, it just threw me. I was like, holy shit, like I can't even hike anymore. I can't, which to me sounds like walking <laughs> a bit more difficultly. Yeah. Walking okay. less. No, I, I actually like legit hiking, like, you know, all fours if need be. It's the going down. The going down is the bitch. Can't mess with gravity in my joints. <laughs> yeah. So. It's, I'm just having one of those days where it's just kind of hit me that I have to deal with this on a different level. I've always known I've had a chronic illness. I knew it was going to get worse. I deal with pain on a daily basis, but I think I just, it's like that reality check that we all get from something in our lives, right? I, I- I'm going to mangle this, but Mark Twain said something to the effect of comparison is the, the root of grief. Like, because, you know, like what you're saying is like, I shouldn't be saying this because you're worse. And our listeners, there's so many of our listeners who are so much worse. And what am I doing whining that I can't complain? It's like, you get to, all of us get to, because it's about comparison. You had an idea of what your life was going to be like and for how long it's going to be like that. And that was what you're expecting and those expectations aren't being met right now and realigning your expectations to what your reality is is a fucking painful process that's brutal 
and it's because you were expecting like your idea of what this was going like was maybe at 40 things will start degrading I've got like a decade basically of like I get to live I get to hike I get to with some pain I will I can push through all of that and I can I can bootstrap this disorder <laughs> like I've got this and I'll have my babies and I will travel the world and and then when I'm 40 maybe things will start falling apart a bit but you know with 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 bootstrapping, with bootstrapping. I can, I can do this and I get that and I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the old me because the old me was there and I get that. And I'm not saying you're going to be like me. I'm certainly not saying that. I'm just saying that I know in my journey, that's where I was at your age. And I put myself through a lot of hell and a lot of grief, which is why I have a clinical allergy to self-help books and the, if you just people, because I tried all, all, all of it, the diets, the not like the losing weight diets but the remove everything diet the if I just exercise properly I get strong enough if I just meditated if I just yoga I could yoga my way out of this shit god damn it like <laughs> I can deny and exercise my way out of this was basically my, my mindset and I get it that's been one of the most painful things I've had to go through is realigning what my body will allow me to do with what I wanted to do and what I expected to do yeah and don't get me wrong, I absolutely, because this is the way I am, I absolutely will be trying everything. And, you know, I come from a, I never put it this way, but like a holistic health background, as in I'm a nutrition scientist, right? And I also am a personal trainer and I've, I've engaged in many different therapies like things around stress reduction and what you put in your body and what you do with your body. And they absolutely have kept me afloat up until this moment. And they will continue to just less so. <laughs> like I have officially stopped eating gluten and dairy, even though wine, bread and cheese is like my favorite thing in the whole goddamn world. Because when I eat them, I'm significantly worse. And I've stopped denying it and stopped saying like, oh, it's not that bad. Because what I'm experiencing today, for instance, like it's not worth it. So I do know that taking care of my body will be helpful to what extent, you know, it's hard to say. But That's a good point that there are things you can do that can be helpful. And yeah. then there's, I mean, there's been a point in my own journey where helpful wasn't enough to offset the joy. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, if I did certain things, I could feel better in certain joints, but other joints were still dislocating. And I was, I was moving from a pain level of like nine and a half to a nine. It wasn't enough for me to say no to some of the things that actually brought me some joy. And that's just my personal, you know, spot in that. And I don't know where you are in that or where you, you might get to, but. Yeah. So I know we're very different in our seeking. <laughs> yeah. Like I really am a person with a, maybe an annoyingly positive mindset. And I've always been that way. Like even when I was, I went through a situational depression, what was it like seven, eight years ago now? And I was legit depressed. And somehow I was still, this is maybe the difference between me having situational depression and clinical depression, I'm not sure. But I, you know, had no drive to do anything. I was miserable to my core, but I went on dates all the time. I moved to New York City. I got a job. Are we sure that dating wasn't what was causing the depression? I feel like dating caused it didn't the depression. Help. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was in its pros and cons because I liked people. So I liked meeting people and I was pretty good at dating. But it also was a terrible thing to do at the same time because it was kind of like an addiction. Damn online dating. But I met my husband. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, but it's just an example of how like I'm always a positive, proactive person even in the face of pain. And I will continue to be that way. And actually, if I see that slipping, that is something that I really have to hold on to. That's, that's my way of being. And maybe that's something I can also prepare for now. And what I mean by prepare for is like, how am I going to be that positive person when shit's 10 times worse than it is now? I just want to throw something out there and I don't, I hope I say it correctly because you know I have the highest level of love and respect for you. I'm just speaking as like big sister, older person who's been through all of this and the positive thing. You know, I, I my my therapist told me I was the highest functioning depressive he had ever met. 
I've got that. I understand. I'm just saying one of the things to be really careful about is optimism and being the good bubbly person gets that gets put up on a pedestal. And I know I held on to it and it ended up biting me. And that's not to say I'm not positive. Crying out loud. That's not to say I'm not positive. It's not to say that I'm not, you know, someone who tries to see the bright side, but that can get toxic. And if it's not serving you, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to not be positive about this all the time. It's okay to honor everything you're feeling, all of it, and to allow that that in. It's saying I'm the only reason I'm saying it is like literally advice is what you wish someone had given you or you wish you had listened to when you were doing that's all I'm doing right here is I'm right now in the middle of everyone talking to me about grieving and yeah. realizing I didn't grieve. Realizing that I never took the time to to grieve because I was trying to be positive, I was trying to be likable. I was trying to keep the friends who still stayed. I was trying to justify why the friends left shouldn't have left. I was, I was trying to, to be something that was still worthwhile. And I thought that the positive was the key to that. And I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying like in my world, that's, that, that can bite you. And you just make sure that what's serving you doesn't end up killing you. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. And, and even though I am a generally positive person, I definitely am not all the time. It's one of the reasons I texted you today and I was like, I think we should record something because I feel like shit and I think we need to talk about it. I'm all for it. I mean, I like I go on Instagram live all the time just because like I feel like shit and I'm lonely as hell. Yeah. And it's like, I just, you know, like you, you said you were scared and I was like, that's why we're scared about two different things right now. But yeah, I was terrified this weekend because we thought I had an appendicitis and I couldn't right. go to the doctor. And it was like, so I just self-diagnosed myself all weekend and just keep watching my temperature to make sure that I didn't burst my appendix and then have to have a more major surgery. But like, fear is such like an intense part of chronic illness. And I think we're we're all rushing to accept it. We're rushing to live the spoony best life and all this bullshit of like, positivity and it can get so toxic because there's a lot we're scared about. We are scared about our finances. We're scared about losing the small things we have. We are always grasping at sand as the tide goes out. Like mm-hmm. there's well, so much we're scared of. So I actually don't see it as there's definitely toxic positivity out there. Let me just say that. That definitely exists. But when I think about positivity, I mean it be what you aim like that's what you always aim for and hopefully that's your general well, that's what you aim for I aim for being a sarcastic bitch <laughs> don't put that on me uh-uh. so, so I aim for drag queen level sarcasm I aim for that level of tea and shade like give me Bob the drag queen give me Bianca Del Rio like give me the sarcastic snarky bitches okay so some with positivity is because, I mean, talk to my husband and my friends. I'm definitely not always Miss Positive. I do try to be positive when others are not, unless they really need me to shut the fuck up, which I will do. Because <laughs> sometimes they're like, okay, no, I, this is not what I need right now. I don't need your your happiness or your positive outlook. Just, you know, as you... As I tell my husband to knock the Pollyanna off. I'm like, stop the Pollyanna. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I'm not... I don't see myself in the future because I haven't been like this until now being someone who's just like, what's the positive way to look at this always? Because sometimes you just need to complain and wallow and be, be present with, well, the pain, the emotional and the physical pain. And sometimes I enjoy that. Actually, I enjoy that a little bit more than uh, Karen mentioned, but that's usually on an emotional side. We'll get into it now, but. We can, what are, what else are we here for? I'm a bit, I'm a bit of a masochist sometimes. <laughs> and there's a certain lovely maudlinness of like the Victorian, like on the painting couch, just give me all of Netflix and let me just wallow. Well, no, yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, no, I'm there. I'm here for that. Why do you think I finished Netflix? Like I am done with Netflix right now. <laughs> So this wasn't in terms of chronic pain, although I probably have seen something for that reason. Oh, I do with ballet, getting off topic. So other than ballet aside, I've had two, I guess, traumas in my life. And when I say trauma, I mean like 
things that have clearly impacted me for the will impact me for the rest of my life and like they have manifested in in pain and nightmares and all sorts of things one of them was ballet and the other one was my reaction to a breakup and which led to at least a two-year depression and I got so comfortable in that space of being depressed and heartbroken and really hating myself. That's really what that was. <laughs> that even when I'm happy and in love, like, I mean, I'm still happy and in love, but like even really early in my relationship with Zev and everything was fantastic. I would watch, I would want to watch these movies and look back at pictures and all this stuff that would make me feel terrible. <laughs> and I, I actually talked to my husband about it one day because we're very open and I admitted to him like sometimes I just like to watch these sad movies about heartbreak and wallow and he said there is comfort in what's familiar. I also think it's part of the human experience like it's part of our human experience like Inside Out did a great job of this that, that uh, Disney Pixar movie where yeah. there's like the beautiful happy memories and then they get tinged with sadness and there's you know sweet and sour it it highlights it highlights being alive and you know there there's that tang there's that uh I forget the right word for it but you know there's that there's something beautiful in, in that that is part of the human experience yeah it is I I think it's really creepy if people and nonsensical people act like they're happy all the time and don't embrace pain I just at least on that front when it comes to romantic the romantic related pain uh there I don't really see any purpose in that it's like any lessons that I needed to learn from that they've been learned so I definitely still right, my little niece is like texting me my poor little niece is like talk to me and I'm like I can't talk to you right now I will talk to you when I'm done stop <laughs> Oh, my niece. Uh, yeah, auntie, mommy, <laughs> wrangler of teenagers. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think that the problem is like, I don't, whatever someone is doing with their life, and if it makes you get through the deep dark, cheers, Mazel Tov, Blessed be. I bow down as long as you don't take me with you. Like, I, I don't mind if, you know, you need to feel positive all the time. I'm just going to warn, watch out for it biting you. But if you turn to me and you tell me, I need, to be positive and I'm making myself sick because I'm not positive then we have an issue then we're into the goop territory yeah. we're into that Danielle Laporte territory or who was the one who just ran for president oh for crying loud Marianne oh it's not gonna come to me she ran for the, like what you remember the democratic stage was like 30 people and you're like yeah what the <laughs> actual one of them was one of those self-help guru people and like I actually don't know I, uh, anyway, um, it, there's a whole group of people who are out there making money on you need to be positive or else you'll be sick. And it's that special brand of blaming the sick person. Like, you'd be better if if you only. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can lead into what you were just talking about, about the need to, to have that maudlin moment. They feed on that. They absolutely that's that's their into the chronic illness community is that that self-degradation that I deserve to be sick because I didn't I think I find positivity more than anything in actually being real so maybe positivity isn't the right word so for instance I decided to call my podcast segment uh human care not like positive health care right? Like, I really want to focus on conversations and ideas and stories around what it means to be human. And for some reason, being vulnerable about being human, uh, that is positive to me. Okay, so be vulnerable. What are you scared of? You're scared right now. What is it that your life could look like worst case scenario that frightens you the most? A really good question that I haven't asked myself. Um, that I am not capable of 
living an independent life. And when I say independent, I don't mean like literally because I hope to always have my husband. And I hope to have kids. But I mean having a life that isn't just them. Because I respect, I respect any person that you know, does what they want to do. So if they want to be a stay-at-home parent, that's wonderful. It's just not something I ever saw myself being. I always wanted to create something for this world that wasn't just my kids. And some people may say that I'm a, not, not going to be a good mom for that reason. Everyone has weird opinions on that shit. But no, I want to bring something to this world that isn't just my kids. And I know I haven't had my kids yet, so who knows? Maybe I'll disagree. <laughs> I, I don't know yet. Uh, but when, so <laughs> this may make you vomit, but like on almost a daily basis, I journal. And a low bar right now, by the way. I mean, like me vomiting is like low bar. <laughs> we, are, we are vomiting a lot these days. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> roll your eyes or whatever but that's I journal on a regular basis and something I try to do is write Why my do you think I would roll my eyes or journaling <laughs> I journal <laughs> I usually will write down like my mission statements in regards to my my health my work life and my let's say social life or relationships mm -hmm. and my one for my health is to be to have the energy and capabilities to live the life I want to and impact, impact others. Okay, um, so what does that look like that, that your body is necessary to create that? I mean, I guess as long as I have a mind, I can do that, technically. I'm I just, asking, like, what is it that you feel that you won't be able to accomplish if your body gets to... I, I'm asking that because the thing that scared me the most was a wheelchair. So I fought tooth and nail for six years to stay out of a wheelchair because I thought my life was over with a wheelchair. And then I got in a wheelchair. I was like, I wish I had done this so much earlier. I would have actually been able to be more in the world. I would have been able to do so many more things if I had just embraced my limitations earlier. And once I understood my limitations, I could have hit a fence that was much further off than the limitations I had set up for myself to look healthy. So I'm just asking, like, what is it that you want to do in the world that you need your legs to not supplicate that you need to happen? Say traveling. Okay. So, you know, a lot of us travel with wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's so, like, as we're talking and I'm thinking about all the things I can't do, or, or sorry, I, like, somewhere in my mind, I think I can't do. I'm like, wait, but I know lots of people that do all of these things. I've, and in being part of this world, this invisible, not broken world, well, world, I have seen everything. I've seen people who have nothing do everything. People who don't have any limbs or like can't see or speak or like, like I've just, I've seen everything. Yeah. But I mean, the thing that's scary about the do everything is it's not as easy. So if you're traveling with a wheelchair, you have to then think, is the cab that's going to take me from the airport wheelchair accessible? Will the train that takes me from the airport be saying I can get my wheelchair? Like, there's a lot more complications. I'm just saying that I I hear your fears. I, yeah. I just Doing stuff with my, I can't, I don't know enough about what it's going to be like with kids, but I'm, I know. Exhausting. Yeah, exactly. Like, Thumbs it's up. something to have children, period. And I'm going to have them with uh chronic pain loose joints brain fog fatigue i these days i don't know what happened all of a sudden but any day i put on an alarm now i have brain fog that's a low bar <laughs> i have to just luckily i at this point right now i can wake up without an alarm i try not to hate myself for being like lazy or whatever but but it's working <laughs> so the bars you set for yourself, dear God, woman, there are like Olympic jumpers that would look at that bar going, nope. Mm -mm. You know, when we have chronic illness, we're not supposed to set the bar higher, right? Like, that's, no, I got that's what we're supposed to be doing. I got a problem, Monica. I yeah, have... you think? <laughs> well, I'm only teasing you because I do the same thing. If I hit ground zero with my pain, I force myself to do my physical therapy just to prove that no matter how bad it gets, I still can do the thing. So I, I'm teasing you because I'm teasing myself. I do the same shit. Yeah. I just always wanted to be, 
I always hate saying this out loud, but I realized it like a year ago that I have the need to be extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And that's just a ridiculous thing for anyone to aim for. That is not what one should aim for in life. Obviously, I want to do so being of service to people, but now I think so. I know it's not that specific, it's not like a wheelchair. But I think it's this general idea of not only are you not going to be exceptional, you're going to be below average. And that terrifies the living daylights out of me. I mean, if anything highlights how much ableism gets into our bloodstream, I think what you just said is like the ground zero for how ableism in our world has like absolutely integrated the souls of all of us. It's terrible. That like if we are and that and I I am not please understand everything you just said I have felt I have thought it's why I stayed out of a wheelchair for so long that I thought I would be less than that I would be damaged that I would like I went through all those feelings I fought so hard to stay out of a wheelchair and it wasn't some and that's the problem is we put this idea that this fight against the mobility aids is somehow noble that it's not yeah. a personal like this is a noble thing that this person fought for a year so they could walk down the aisle in their wedding you know that's a kills me it's like fine you personally want to do that cheers but as a society all of us like cheering someone on because they put themselves through tremendous levels of agony and pain to walk down an aisle instead of widening the aisle and using their wheelchair so they could enjoy the moment (laughs) and be present in it instead of like you know like we put so much pressure on ourselves and others to work really hard at hiding or mitigating their disability as if our disability is giving up, as if visualization of our disability is giving up. And I mean, yeah. however you want to fight this, you know I'm behind you. I, I will support you 120%. I'm just saying this has been my struggle. This is what I've watched other people struggle with. And this is how society has taught us to hate ourselves. Yeah, I definitely see that. And I am never someone to be fake. That is something I always promise myself. Again, going back to the idea of being human in whatever ways one needs to be human. I, it's, it's interesting how I actually don't ever have a problem being vulnerable. In fact, I, I like it. Uh, why I'm good with doing a podcast about it. This is why we like Mrs. Maisel, like how she was like, I have this weird need to get up on a crowd and tell everyone everything. It's a compulsion. Like, yes. Definitely something I have or listen to other people do it and then chime in or whatever. But I I really, really love that. I remember if there was a butt coming here, <laughs> what was I talking about? Uh we yeah. just need to name our podcast Two Women with Brain Fog Trying to Make Sense of a Conversation. What? And there was also something happening the other day. I'm not going to remember this. Oh, I forgot the word wasabi earlier today for like five minutes. That was annoying. <laughs> but I just did a two-hour podcast interview where I was like, words. The word door. Yeah, I think I know what that means. Sure. <laughs> the brain fog, the forget, forget about brain fog, actually, because I see different types of brain fog there's the brain fog I have where it's just like literally the feeling of being drunk without actually the happy part of being drunk the just physically that one I want that one no it's not nice it's just being completely out of it it's like I can't literally like I can't literally focus or or mentally figuratively figurative or figuratively focus literally and words no physically that this is what I meant I can't physically focus and I can't mentally focus at the same time. So I just feel like I'm in a big cloud well, or fog. You know, it's called brain fog. <laughs> That's why that has that name. Do you have a knot in your hair? What are you doing? I'm telling you the Jewish hair problems are real. <laughs> I mean, I, I get dreadlocks by like noon if I don't braid my hair or put it in a bun. It's insane. It like, yeah. Yeah. My dad had like the, the 1970s Jufro, like the full yeah. Afro in the seventies. And my mom has like the super like fine European hair. So I got the best of both worlds, which means dreadlocks. Interesting combo. Oh, it's, yeah. Huh. It's really cute. Interesting. 
so anyway, the other day, someone was talking about how they're forgetting words, or they forgot like, a couple words, and it's really scary, and these were signs. It wasn't someone being a hypochondriac. It was like they were older, and it was like a big deal that they were forgetting words. They knew that it was a sign of them getting older. And I was like, what? That's every day. That's a, that's a nothing day for me. <laughs> I, I forgot that what I experienced is not normal. That I, now I remember what it was. It wasn't a forgetting word. It was mixing them up. Saying, oh, I feel so thing. Well, I do it all the time. All the time. My I, kids laugh at me so much over that. Like, <laughs> and I don't hear it. Like a lot of the time I don't hear it or I'll just pause afterwards because I have to go back in my mind and go, did I say what I think I said or did I say something else? Because I'm not really quite sure. I will often say the exact opposite word of what I mean, which is very odd. I unfortunately with directions will point right and say left. And people I did that yesterday. I do it a lot. My poor husband, he was driving me somewhere and I was like, you need to make a right-hand turn here. And he starts going over like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, you I like, oh, no, I meant left. How did you not know I meant left? <laughs> so yeah, so the other day, Dev says, right, he, he's giving me directions. And he says, right, and he points, right. And he saw me hesitate for something else unrelated to direction. I was just looking a little longer at crossing the street than he thought. And he goes, oh no, I, I said like, you have, you have to go left. And I said, I know what way left is. And he goes, well, you know, sometimes it seems like you don't. You say one way, but you mean another. And I said, that's different. I know my right and my left. I just say the opposite thing. But if you tell me which direction to go in, I'll know what direction to go in. There's a difference yeah. between verbal processing and mental processing. I, I viscerally feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was just a fun conversation. <laughs> I, I swear, like half of chronic illness is like, is this my illness? Am I getting older? Am I distracted? Is this a side effect from my medication? Am I dying? <laughs> Am I dying? That's that's what I, I want to tell my father. I I think I did try to tell him once because he I don't know where he is with any of this. Like in believing that I have anything, understanding what I'm going through, I really think he doesn't. And I love him with all my heart and soul, but he. I don't know, he can't wrap his head around something that is invisible. Uh, and my diagnoses are pretty vague, right? I have fibromyalgia and hypermobility syndrome. And because they're diagnosed symptomatically, although you can definitely see things happen in my joints, I think he just has a hard time with it. And also I was a dramatic teenager, blah, blah, blah. So he just thought I was being a drama queen. Anyway. Okay, can we um, just, no, no, I, I want to just step back because I want to look at dramatic teenager for a second because I feel like, we get labeled that way, but we grow up in constant pain. We grow up with constant low level abuse that's been like systematically accepted. Like this shit that teenagers go through, like watching my own kids and the stuff they went through that is not any different than the shit I went through like 30 years before, which should have changed by now. I don't know how they all don't have nervous breakdowns. Like yeah. the amount of stress these kids are under. And then we're like, you're so dramatic. It's like, do you see what these kids go through every day? Like this well, is a lot. I will admit I was a bit of a drama queen, but with boys, <laughs> like not with other things. They cause a lot of drama. <laughs> We've caused a lot of drama. I caused a lot of drama with boys too. Like I fully admit it. I had a high school sweetheart. God bless him. He's like one of my best friends now. Well, we were terrible. We were just a big dramatic couple. And so that probably drove my parents up a wall. But the thing is, any drama that I ever created, if anything, was about me trying to do things that I probably wasn't able to or ready to do. It was never, oh, woe is me. I can't do this thing or I'm in pain. Like, I just told you that my lifelong dream has been to be extraordinary. Why would an extraordinary, someone who wants to be extraordinary as a teenager, especially when their head's in the clouds, want to complain about pain and being unable to do things? Yeah. And he never got that. I don't think my mom did until maybe, maybe I was diagnosed with fibro. She started to get it. Now she really gets it, but I don't think my dad does. And it's possible that a lot of my friends don't. They just say they do. It's definitely possible. 
they know that other, a lot of people are like me because they know that I've built kind of a career around it. So they know I'm not alone. I'm not crazy. You know that. I mean, my, I'm lucky that my dad's disabled. So that's been tremendously helpful in his understanding of what I'm dealing with. And, but dealing with like the rest of the family, they're trying so hard and they really do try, but the words that they say can be so like, I don't know how to take that. Like, you look so great today. It's so nice to see you walking. And I'm like, do you have any idea how painful this is for me right now? <laughs> like, or you look great. I'm so happy. To, I was so worried about you. I'm so happy to see you looking so well. And it's like, did I just give up ground by putting on makeup and standing up? Because I feel like I just gave up a lot of ground. God, what, what is a nice thing to hear? That's a good question, because I do the same shit. I've been guilty of saying the same thing to someone who's sick. I'm like, oh, you look great. And I'm like, fuck you, why did you just say that? <laughs> or I hope you feel better. And I'm like, why did you just say that? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, for me, like, some of the kindest things people have said are, you know, I admire how you're handling this, or... God, and nothing's coming to mind. I know there's, there's, my daughter was actually really incredible about it because I have this weird pathological need to show people my dislocations. And it stems from like years and decades of medical gaslighting where I was told I was not sick. Oh, I was not surprised by that at all. Yeah. So I have this pathological need to show people when I dislocate and the dislocations. And I forget how upsetting that is for people, especially ones who love me. And my daughter I was like I popped something out so hard and it was so gross and I was like trying to make light about it and she just looked at me she's like if you need to show that to me I understand and I'll look at it but I don't enjoy this I'm like I am so sorry I will never do that again she's like no no if you need to I've got this like I don't know what I did to deserve you no I'm not doing this again to you I'm so sorry um I will work on that but like just someone even just acknowledging that maybe I need something weird acknowledging that I'm not crazy, acknowledging how hard, like I get pissed at my physical therapist. who's like, you know, you're really deconditioned. I'm like, do you know how I work out more than anyone else? I know I exercise almost an hour a day. Now it's light, but it's the best I can do. And I feel like there's no, like, I need the scratch behind the ear. Like you're, I need the scratch. I need the, like, you're trying, you're doing good. I, I see the effort you're putting in. I see how hard you're trying at this. And I really admire that. No, I don't want the, I admire you for sitting up. I admire you. Like, I, like, that's like the big line. Like, I don't like inspiration porn. I don't like people to use me as inspiration porn. I like people to minimize my experience or minimize someone else's achievements because I have weird pathological needs. But I do appreciate someone acknowledging the work I do. I don't, I don't appreciate someone acknowledging my existence, like the Mm -hmm. ability to exist, like you 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 woke up today yay you did this basic bullshit yay we're so proud of you it's so inspiring that you like like are humaning which granted I can't do all the time but I mean I deeply appreciate you know you started a podcast that's helped people and pissed off a lot of people apparently but you did the thing so that's inspiring or you wrote books that's inspiring you started businesses that's inspiring like those things I appreciate that you're inspiring I get really pissed off by the you hit the bare minimum of human that's super inspiring yeah it's more about the the effort behind it rather than the physical what you've done that was a lot of rambling to get to I can't think today I'm really sorry that was I was hoping eventually I would hit something that was like meaningful and important I don't think I did no, you, you did for me. And it's important for me to hear because I always really want to be sensitive of others' emotions. Now, I recognize that I can't always be, and some people are just going to take things certain ways. But I, I do like to say positive things about people. I definitely compliment people a lot, but I always do it genuinely. You should know this, Monica. I, was I, I never compliment unless I mean it. I'm not a I, complimenter. I've been like debating whether to say this to you or not, but I, I think I will. And I hope it's not a bitchy thing to say, but I will say it anyway. You do seem to, in your language, put yourself outside of this community. Like you're always like how you talk, you always talk to the community super respectfully, but you are a part of it. And I don't think you've embraced that you are. It, it, you, you spend a lot of time like 
trying to not be disabled, trying not to be chronically ill. And I get that. And I totally honor that part of your journey. But I'm just saying, like, if you hear yourself, you're always distancing yourself from it. And you're not an advocate for this community without being a part of it. You are a part of this. And I think that might be part of like something to look at in the next few weeks is, is you're here. It's, this is where you're at. There are some limitations. You are in pain. You are chronically ill. And I, I'm always, I, I'm saying this because I know that was my big stumbling block. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hope I hope that's the right thing to say. I hope I was definitely the right thing to say. It was not me trying to be a bitch. I was not trying to be a bitch with that. I just wanted to like just point that out to you. Are bitches to me? It's the best thing they could do. Uh, I'm trying not to, but I do want to point something out to you because I don't know if you're aware that in your language you're always distancing yourself. That is really interesting. It's funny. I, I guess I feel like I don't because I talk about what I'm experiencing, but somehow my language doesn't I don't yeah what's an example of that or I don't know if you can think of one but. Oh god I love you I'll tell you what I always do is I don't refer to my body as mine I always refer to it in third person my cousin called me out on that the other day and I was like I do that I call it an it I get that you know when you're talking about the community you don't talk about yourself in that community a lot of the times so what you'll do is you you say the community, this is what I'm doing for the community. But there's a lot of you that's still trying to see yourself outside of the community, but being an advocate for the community, you know, like I try to be a very good advocate for trans, but I'm not part of that community, except that I want to advocate as hard as I can for it. A lot of language I use in talking about trans advocacy I kind of hear in like the way you phrase things with chronic illness and disability and the only reason that it hits me is because I know I talked the same way when I was still working full-time and I was trying really hard to to not be a part like I was trying to do a whole smoke and mirrors I'm not that sick I'm not that disabled but I want to work hard for those who are without acknowledging that I was well on my way and also very, very deep in, but I wasn't ready to acknowledge that yet. And I'm wondering how much your fear is because you're scared that once you acknowledge where you're at, that you will have to change things, that your goals will have to shift. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I'm having a, like a shattering glass moment here. I didn't realize that I did that or didn't do that rather and I'm not, but at the same time, I'm not surprised because I think I've told you that I have a really hard time identifying as a spoonie. And I'm aware that that's just like a slang term, you know, and, and I don't have to identify with that exactly, but spoonie culture, a lot of it is memes. <laughs> not all, a lot of it is memes. And they are amazing. They are amazing, right? Like it's all this language around you know, I can't do this and it's ridiculous. Isn't that funny? And I, it's funny because I resonate with a lot of them. A lot of like, yeah, I know exactly what that meme is talking about or that person's talking about. And then at the same time, I'm not a snarky person, like the wonderful Monica most of the time. What? What? Yeah. <laughs> so then I also feel like it's a false identity if I say I'm a spoonie because I'm not, I am more of a well, I guess here we go, like the positive person and I don't focus on my negatives. Yeah, this is all a roundabout way of, I guess with everything we've been talking about, it's clear that I'm in a bit of limbo. With That's hard. Identity so, limbo. But I mean, look at all of the interviews we've done. Almost everyone will bring up, this is harder for me than I feel like it would have been if there was something definite. Like I've been like gotten in trouble because I've said like, there are times I wish it was just a car accident. Like if it was just something that was definite, like there was just a, you were in a car accident. Now you're in a wheelchair. This is your life. This is what you can expect. This is the trajectory. And now you can go be a badass because you know where the fence line is. Like if you, if you're like one of those like super awesome people that everyone goes, what's your excuse? And you see the person in the wheelchair in the gym, like pulling, doing pull-ups with their chair and like going out and being in, like a, in the skateboarding rink, like with their wheelchair doing things. Cause you know, 
you know the parameters. Chronic illness is squidgy. There's no parameters. There's no, like, you want to be extraordinary. I, I almost laugh because I'm like, that's exactly something I, I get. I feel that. And it's like the scariest thing to think I'm a middle-aged woman now. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that. Like, I'm never going to hit that bar. And I, I, I understand the need for it. But it's when you acknowledge the chronic illness, which doesn't give you the parameters so you can be extraordinary even in the chronic illness disability parameters, it, it, gets, it gets scary. But it, what makes me mad about even having that conversation out loud is that I know otherwise. Like, yeah, I want, like, and I'm talking not about active desires. I just know that, like, that voice in the back of my head wanted me to be extraordinary, right? It wasn't like I was telling people, like, that's my goal in life. It's just, like, I figured out the little voice and what it was saying. Yeah. <laughs> I figured out it was being that person. and. I mean, you weren't the politician, like, in that, that show. I'm freaking loving that show, by the way, but. What? No, what? no, you haven't seen it. Oh, my God, please go watch this. So good. But, yeah, his whole thing is, I'm going to be president of the United States. Like, I'm going to be extraordinary. That's, I know that's, what like, you're talking like, about. Yeah. Yeah, I saw yeah, it. I get that you are not that person, but, yeah, yeah. No, I feel like, like the drive. I didn't realize that was happening, but it was a tiny voice in the back of everything, like, motivating me to do all these crazy things that really I just wasn't ready for, and that's fine. It's just, like, I pretended I was. Yeah. You know, like starting a health tech company with no money and no one to help me. I, mean, I decided I was going to be a ballerina at 13 and started working three times a day to get to becoming a professional ballerina, and then yeah, I was going to be the best. Yeah. And then I was going to be a professional writer, and then I was going to be the best teacher ever, and then I was going to be the best mother. Spoiler. But no, like, there's there's this drive for some of us that we're going to be extraordinary, and I think that with ableism, we really decide that our bodies are that vehicle to becoming extraordinary. Yeah, and so I guess what I was getting at is that it's not the case. You can absolutely be, first of all, I'm not saying one should strive to be extraordinary necessarily, but you definitely can be. It's just a, a lot harder. But extraordinary human aside, I can be, I want to say I could be anything I want. That's not, not really what I mean. It's I can, there are things that I will love that I will always be capable of doing. It's just might not be what I thought. And I will definitely have the ability to impact others like me or not like me. I just have to work within the boundaries of my illness as they progress. Right? <laughs> right. So something we we've you and I have talked about a lot, which is kind of changing the expectation and the language. So if you're gonna say, I need to be extraordinary being a mountain climber and you're the best mountain climber ever you've really limited oh you know a lot of things physically emotionally everything if you you decide that's the one and only way you're going to live an extraordinary life if you define an extraordinary life as a life filled with purpose that becomes very different or like if you focus on oh my god my words are so bad um but if you're focused on on ideals instead of specifics. I want to live a life of compassion. I want to live a life of purpose. That becomes something that you can mold. Yeah, I like that. That's definitely a much better way to go. Also, because even if you have all the older you know, all the physical abilities in the world, life just doesn't end up always being what you think it's going to be. You you aren't able to do what you uh, think you're able to do. And uh, again, this physical abilities aside, you just don't know what life's going to hand you. You can work towards it, but living your life within a sort of context of how you want to be, yeah, that that is definitely that's some great advice, Monica. Oh, good. That was clever. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I definitely want to live a life of purpose, of giving. I, w I want to lift other people up. And again, it doesn't need to be necessarily through positivity, even though positivity seems like it'd be lifting up, but it could be through comfort, you know, community, just feeling heard, feeling like they, there are options. 
it's a uh... so when you're talking about positivity and you're talking about being extraordinary it's the same thing that I, I was trying to say and I think I said it badly but it's the same thing both things can be a very good thing and they can be very motivating they can also turn around and limit you and they can bite you and they can they can they can get fetid and and like anything can if it gets fetid can become a negative who the hell is in my backyard? Oh, my mother's here. That's cute. Um, no one texted me to tell me they were coming over, uh, but my mother is here. Um, I wonder where my dog was going insane. But like literally anything, if it's if you deny it and you don't look at it and you don't examine it and hold it, can get ugly. So unrequited love can be a beautiful thing. It can be you know a little maudlin. It can spurn on great works of art, or you can become terrifying. Anything that gets stuck can get rotted. So optimism, when stuck, can become self-loathing. Same with like this idea of, of, uh, of extraordinary. If you don't reach a very limited idea of what that extraordinary is going to be, that can turn on you. I hope that made sense. I'm so sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I am like six hours into my day and my brain's going, I swear I'm smart. I swear. <laughs> Oh, you're you're honestly doing a fabulous job. You feel you're like my life coach. <laughs> Seriously, like the job I wanted was to be a therapist. I wanted to be a therapist. I think you'd make certain people very happy as a therapist. <laughs> or I would make certain people very, very <laughs> wounded. But it be everyone's cup of tea, but you'd def you'd be definitely You think? <laughs> Maybe a lot of people listening to the podcast. Uh, <laughs> we heard you don't worry we we read the reviews i i'm fully aware of what some of you think of me i'm all good yeah well this has been really helpful truly i mean i'm not <laughs> I just saying so, that i don't I'm sorry i'm so that. like random like i i hope i helped I, I probably talked more than i listened and i'm sorry for that well i i'm really navigating what my humanity looks like what does it mean when i'm being human when i'm being real with myself and when does it look like being motivated and trying new things and looking at the positive side of opportunities and then the coming to terms with my realities facing not even facing fears just acknowledging fears basking in them if need be, preparing for them, all the stuff that sucks. It's, and every, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and everything in between. I mean, that's life, right? Like, yeah, and it's beautiful. Literally, my tattoo is about that, actually. This is why I say, like, I might sound bubbly and positive, but really, I promise you, I'm, I'm definitely a roller coaster of a human. <laughs> my, my, my tattoo, have you, we've never met in person, so you've never seen this, but I have a little teeny tiny tattoo, teeny tiny, the three dots, and they represent a few things, but the number one message that I get when I look down at them is fall in love with your life, mm. and to me, the broader message there is life has its ups and downs and love every part of it. That's beautiful. And it makes That's me really beautiful. So, you know, I have a pathological, like, allergy to self-help books. Like, I literally hate them. Just off the cuff hate. You have to work to get me to read one. And I've read two that I love. And I would love for you to give these two a try. I read um, There's Nothing Wrong With You. Hmm. And that was one of my favorite books ever. It was recommended to me, like, by so many angles. But I think it, it's one that might really speak to you where you are right now. And it's uh, kind of about like radical self-love, that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with where you are in your journey. It's a beautiful book and it's short, which is another thing I really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's nothing wrong with you. It's, it's one of my favorite books of all time. And I don't even own a copy because I keep giving it to people. So <laughs> I need to just order a case of it because it's the one book I gift all the time. The other book is like to my tattoo, uh, which I got. It says muchness, and it's from the Alice in Wonderland movie, the first one. And it was the whole thing of, but you lost your muchness. And this idea, like when we're children, we're so purely ourselves. And around like 
nine or 10, we start really getting railroaded into figuring out what our cage is going to be, what, what, what we're going to decide to lock ourselves into. And I'm reading a book right now that got recommended by eight different people. I was not going to read this book. I was like, there's no way I'm touching this and I'm loving it. It's called Untamed. And I am, yeah, it's, it's incredible. But I, I think those are, are probably the only two self-help books I will read. But just from like what you're dealing with right now, I think that that, that would be probably my, my best advice is to read read those especially though there's nothing wrong with you it's it's what I feel like I'm always like yelling at you it's like you are so amazing you are so wonderful you are such a fantastic human I'm grateful to have as a friend and you're always like I always feel like you don't give yourself no credit for like who you are and the the person you are and you're always pushing yourself which is cool there's nothing wrong with pushing yourself but I, I'm always worried about you <laughs> well thank you I mean Jewish mom so I'm always gonna worry about you like that's just you get into my stratosphere and the Jewish mom is gonna kick in I'm gonna feed you and I'm gonna worry about you that's just (laughs) nothing I can do it's it's in my genetics yep I understand that very well and yeah (laughs) just wait I swear if you end up having babies you're gonna be like oh my god it's genetic it literally is like (laughs) all of this (laughs) I'm not wondering if that's how I'm going to be. I will be a Jewish through and through. I just hope children don't resent me for it and that they don't mind too much love because it's not, it's never too much in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) I just like to make it clear, one thing quickly clear that love and control right word yeah love and control but also like what's what's the word i'm thinking of just like um giving in or whatever is not what i mean i think you can be very you can be oh you okay there or why not (laughs) (laughs) i mean i have been throwing up all for like five days i am so so done. I made the radical decision to try to eat at dinner last night. It went well. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, so the difference between pushover and love. Yeah, I was just saying, like, I don't, I think loving some, anyone, it's not even just children, I think showing love doesn't necessarily need an end, but knowing what you have to have the boundaries around it. Like, you don't want to be a pushover. Uh, you don't want, you have to have rules. You have to have standards. You have to have all these things, but showing love, I don't really know if that, that has any bounds. And that's something I found with my parents, at least. I'm not sure if that's true in every scenario, but somehow they were really great at laying down some very clear black and white rules in my life. Did not just even if they gave us things, we had to, I'd write proposals for certain things I wanted. Like, and you know, it was never, that That was actually a really great tactic. I love that. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes no matter how much I basically went to court with them on something, if they just were like, nope, you, you can't do or have that. They're like, that's my rule. And that's the way it's going to be. But they never showed me too much love. And yeah. 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 And the thing I'll tell you is, like, as we're talking about fears and self-acceptance and self-loathing, that is something that you're going to need to deal with, because if you don't deal with it now, I promise you, your children will show you the most terrifying mirror you've ever seen. Like, kids, everything that you have not emotionally dealt with, your child will bring to you and lay at your floor like a cat bringing you a dead rat. Like they will lay all of your emotional shit you have not handled yet on your floor at your feet and you will have to deal with it then. Like it's, it's been, if you want to look at the positive way, it's some of the most intense therapy I've ever been through is raising kids and having to deal with stuff that I wasn't ready to touch. Goody. Yeah. 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 So I'm just saying like the stuff you're, you're dealing with now, the work you're doing now, becoming a parent or not, isn't the point. It's, it's just that becoming a parent is a short, short circuit way to dealing with all the bullshit you don't want to look at in yourself. That's, that's the quick way to it, but you're doing the work now. 
So parenting or not, you're doing really important work on yourself and like asking the questions of who you want to be, what's serving you and what's no longer serving you. And that's, that's really important because sometimes the things that motivate us and really helped us through our lives can turn around and bite us. And then sometimes you have to let go of them for a while or change tactic. Thank you, Mama Monica. Not Mama, big sister. I'm not that much older than you. <laughs> Mama Monica. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, no, it doesn't. No, I've got to. I'm good. I'm all done. I was a big sister. There you go. Ah, that works. It's actually age appropriate too. Yeah. Okay. Well, you go hang out with your mama since apparently she's home. Apparently. <laughs> Who is walking around back there? And I got to skedaddle anyway, but thank you so much. This was exactly what I needed. I hope I helped and didn't hurt. And I'll try to listen more next time, I promise. You were uh, spot on, baby. All right, well, I love you. Love you, too. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you haven't already, please leave us a review. Your feedback means the world to us. As always, links to the show notes will be on invisiblenotbroken.com, where you can also subscribe to our community updates. If you love listening to the show, one of the nicest things you can do is become a patron. We do this all out of pocket, so support is always welcome and very appreciated. If that's just not in the cards, we totally understand. And the kindest thing you can do is to share the episode with your community online and in person, friends and family. We also have swag, t-shirts, stickers. So if you head over to invisiblenotbroken.com, you can find our Patreon and great ways to buy some of the, the neat swag and show your spoony pride. Spoony pride. So be kind. Be gentle. Be a badass. <laughs>